Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Sports Drink Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of The Bird Calls. I'm your host, David Grubb, and looking at the ceiling and joining me is Holly Cosell. Trying to get the lighting right. We got to make sure we got to look good. Got to look good for the people. And uh, thank you for for uh, watching uh, previous episodes. We're, we're really excited to see the, the subscriptions go up and people checking in and uh, leaving your comments. So please continue to do so. Share the podcast. Um, of course, you can get it uh, wherever you listen to your podcast as well. But of course, right here on YouTube. Um, and, and we'd love for you to, to keep uh, checking in with us as we continue to uh, bring you great content. Um, the big story this week, of course, is the release of the NBA postseason awards as we start getting deeper and deeper into that. And yesterday was the All-NBA's All-Defensive Team, and Herb Jones was conspicuously left off the list. I don't think, Ali, that anyone in New Orleans presumed that less than a second team was possible for Herb when this regular season concluded. I mean, I think we all assumed it might be tough to get first team because it's the NBA, but second team seemed like a lock for Herb to end up where he did with only 15 votes um, was just surprising. And I just want to get first your thoughts on that, Ali, and just Herb not making the team. It really surprised me because, David, first of all, he had a rookie season to where he got a lot of accolade for his defense to where people like Zach Lowe and I know others were basically, you know, standing for him to get one of these, you know, either the first or second all defensive team awards. Um, And so he already kind of came in, even though, you know, he was a rookie last season, he already had somewhat of a rep. And then the bigger thing, of course, will always be to me, what do your peers think of you, right? Your play, you know, for years, Drew Holiday here was highly regarded for his defensive exploits, but he hardly ever got any kind of, you know, acclaim for it. It's because of one reason, one reason alone. The team never really won enough, right, for where it would, you know, you can overcome, um, you know, maybe some obscurity of being in a small market, not having such a name. So there's a lot of factors that always work kind of against New Orleans players, especially, like I said, if you're a quiet type, right? Look at the list of the guys that made it. There's a lot of outspoken guys on there, right? Guys that play with an edge. And Herb Jones really doesn't. So, yeah, in a roundabout way, I guess I'm probably talking my, myself into understanding why Herb didn't make it, but I'm with you. I can't name on one hand, honestly, five better defenders than Herb this season. When you take everything in account, versatility, right? Being able to guard one through five, you know, he can't guard every center, but he can guard some centers on some possessions. 
Number two, it's that determination. He doesn't take a trip off, a possession off. I've seen some of these other guys on this list. They have. And lastly, you know, with Herb, it's just, I don't know. I don't know how to put it, but he has this knack of whether you need a deflection, whether you need a charge, a steal, a a block on a perimeter, right? He can do it all, right? So it's not like there's any kind of weaknesses, right, or holes in his defensive game. So I honestly don't understand it. But I'll tell you what, I bet you he's going to win multiple times in the future. It's just a shame he didn't get his first one this year. Yeah, I I think there are – no one should should be happy with the outcome. But I think that there are two types of sins. You know, there are sins of commission and sins of omission. And this to me was a sin of omission, where it was not malicious to leave Herb off of this list, but it was a lack of awareness by the voters uh, in this situation. Because Herb is in some really good company of people who got left off. Mm-hmm. Giannis Antetokounmpo, two-time defensive player of the year. All, two of his teammates make the, the first team. Giannis doesn't. Okay, you know what I mean? Anthony Davis, who has probably been the best post defender in the entire playoffs and has really led the charge for the Lakers, he doesn't make it. And people talked all year. AD had played some of the best defense of his career this season. So Jimmy Butler, first-team All-NBA, doesn't make you know the, the all-defensive team. And no one would dispute that Jimmy Butler is an elite defender in this league. Mm-hmm. So I think the snub team, you take the top five snubs, and you've got as good as a team as I think is the NBA's all first team, defensive team. Yeah, definitely better than the second. That's what I said in our group chat. But yeah, you're right. There's an argument to be made for the first one. Look at um, if you got Herb, Jimmy Butler is your guards. Yeah, and then you got Bridges and Smart also. And then you take Mikhail Bridges. No, you take Mikhail Bridges, Giannis, and AD as your front court. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Give me that. I think that's as good as the first team. Yeah, and David, I guess this is what you know what this is leading to. Answer me this. Why isn't there a third all-defensive team? All-NBAs had three teams since 1988. Why hasn't there been a move? Because the all-NBA team, right, picked up a third. Why hasn't that happened with defensive teams? When supposedly, you know, defense is very important. We're trying to put more notoriety. And when I say by we, the media, the NBA itself is trying to, you know, put more merits into that side of the ball. Why hasn't there been a third team created yet? It doesn't make sense because when you look at it from 1988, we've had two expansions in the NBA since then. So you've added more players to the pool. And defensive versatility has become, as you said, much, much more of an asset. We have the Hustle Award. We've added these things to the league. We track hustle stats in general every night on your scoreboard. When you're at an arena, you know what your team is doing defensively in that regard. And we're continuing to add these metrics to the scale, defensive real plus minus, all these things that we're trying to get these advanced stats which is really hard to do with individual defense. But at the same time, yeah, it feels like the NBA needs to expand this because I don't see what's the negative in adding a third team. You have a third, three all NBA teams. I get it with rookies because rookies are harder and harder to make an impact first season. But with defense, and as you said, this in this offensive era Mm -hmm. where individual defenders are as good as gold, having a Herb Jones on your roster make – makes an average Pelicans defensive group the sixth best defense in the NBA. You know what I mean? Like, so you look at those types of factors. If defense is this important, and we talk about the value of the two-way player and the elite two-way player, 
then yeah, I think that that, that level of recognition is better for the teams. It's better for the players because it leads to more financial resources. And then it's agents love it and fans love it. I don't see what the downside would be. Yeah, th- there isn't one. So again, I've never even really heard talk, right? Of let's add a third team, right? Why hasn't it happened? There's 400 and what, 70 some odd NBA players. And there's a lot of guys that are deserving, as you mentioned. And it's easy. If you look at the top 10 that got nominated this year, yeah, we could put, pick apart maybe some of the arguments for several players like Caruso's on there. A lot of people had, uh, what was it, Dylan Brooks issues with him. I think Dylan Brooks do that, right? Brooks and Derek, Derek White are probably the ones that I, I think most true. Derek White, yeah. Derek White's a bench player for crying out loud. I mean, and I don't think he's the best defender on, on that Boston team, do you? I think Jalen Brown is. And I mean, Jason Tatum has a higher defensive real plus minus than Derek White does, as does Jalen Brown. And Marcus Smart, who also didn't make the team. Right. Excuse me. I, yeah, I should have said Marcus so, Smart first. Yes, but yeah. Derek White makes it, and three other Celtics don't. And that, that to me is, and I'd, I'd even say Robert Williams. At his best is the is a better defender than Derek White. Yeah, like I said, so we could poke holes, right? And several of the ones that did receive an award this year, but I'd rather not do that. Right. Because at the end of the day, there's a lot of guys that are deserving. I mean, I'm really shocked. You mentioned Jimmy Butler, right? Not making it. I had pass out there Mikhail Bridges. I mean, just because he went to Brooklyn in the trade, I don't think his defense lessened any. And remember, he played for most of the season with Phoenix. And I I don't think, honestly, there's a better on-ball defender than Herb. Then maybe at times it is Bridges for me. It's not Anobi. It's not smart. It's Bridges. So, you know, I haven't even said Lou Dort. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there, David. Yeah. A I don't lot. understand why there's no third game. Well, I think it's time. I, th- I just think it's time to do it. And I think for the other part of it is when you look at, you know, those groups, those other factors, like we talked about, when you can explain it, yeah, time in the league does matter. And we talked about in the article that's on the Bird Rights right now, about analyzing this a bit, you know, inexperience. There, there's only one player on that team who's in his third year or less. And we've only seen that very rarely over the years, very young players making the team. I mean, it, it's hard to get on there before your third year in the league. It just doesn't happen very often. And then on top of that, teams who don't make the playoffs. In the last five years, only three players on teams who didn't make the playoffs have made the all-defensive team. So as you talk about at the top, Your team does have an influence on that. The Pelicans held her back to an extent because I think the team's overall reputation, regardless of what the standing said defensively, them being sixth, the overall reputation of the franchise blowing some games that it shouldn't have blown in high-profile situations, I think that sticks with voters who don't have every minute to watch every player in every game. I, I like you. I think the Pelicans get better. You're in the playoffs next year. You're doing what you're supposed to do as a team. I don't. Well, I think once Herb gets on, he's going to be one of those guys who's an annual guy, and I, I think it's going to be impossible to get him off because, as you said, he's got the respect of the coaches already. He's got the respect of the players. He's got the respect of the announcers. He's got the respect of his teammates. It's just winning over the media, and that takes a little bit longer when you're an undraft, you know, your second round pick who comes on a team that has not had a ton of team success. Yeah, most of the people with votes they usually just follow if not just one team, just maybe several teams, right? I mean, that's what you learn. A lot of these voters are division. beat writers that follow, right, the actual teams. Or if there's national guys, well, they're going to pick and choose on who they watch. And if you're not a playoff team, boy, that really does hurt, right? You're not all of a sudden on, you know, the primetime, you know, broadcast. I mean, how many times did the Pelicans this season have a game taken off, whether it was ESPN or TNT? 
right? So, yeah, all those things, they go against Herb. But as you mentioned, I don't think that's going to keep happening in the future. Once he gets in, he's going to stay there for a while, especially, right, David? If the Pelicans stay a top-10 defensive team, I mean, they were six. They should have gotten somebody in there on, on that fact alone. I think Larry Nance, right, he tweeted that out. J.J. Reddick argued about that today on what was it, first take or whatever show he was on. So a lot of people that do know about Herb Jones absolutely know he's a top-10 guy, but not enough do. That'll change. I think it will change. And I think, you know, people who worry about Herb, let the other the other guys can be mad for Herb. Larry Nance can be upset, Trey, all these the franchise. You'll never hear a word out of Herb Jones. Because Herb is the most, in my mind, the most self-motivated player on the Pelicans roster. He's the guy that you go back and you look at when he played at Alabama with a broken hand and plays an entire game with a broken hand, still gets double-digit rebounds, makes free throws, all these types of things. Mentally, I think Herb is the guy. He knows who he is as a basketball player more than any other person. He's most self-assured and comfortable in his skin of any of the young guys. I think, you know, Larry, CJ, they, they're established. But if this young group, beyond below as far as age goes, none of them are as confident and as self-assured in my mind, watching the way that they go about their business, as Herb Jones is. That's a good argument. Herb Jones never seeks the limelight. That's the biggest thing I've noticed. He is fantastic talking off camera. He likes talking to us when there's not a camera in his face. But when he's asked to go do podium, he always kind of rolls the eyes, you know, the head, kind of slumps his shoulders, probably wishes he could figure out a way to get out of it. That's kind of who he is. He he, he doesn't need any attention. I mean, after every big game he's had that we've had him on the podium when he scored, you know, say 18, 20 points, he never wants to talk about that ever, never, ever. And so that to me instantly showed me who he was. And then you're right. He's the most self-motivated guy because guess who I've seen put in more hours in the gym when media has been allowed in there? It's been her. I will say he probably gets a run from his money, right, from maybe Jose Alvarado. He's another guy who I think really doesn't care about any of those extracurricular things as long as he has secured his job in the NBA, right? Mm -hmm. It it was tenuous for him more so than Herb. Yeah, I think there's a little more desperation on Jose's part. Yeah, but but once her, I know once Jose got that landed that contract with the Pelicans, mm-hmm. was a no longer a two way player. He felt more at ease, and he's always been hyping everybody else. And that's who Herb is. You watch him on a bench; he's always getting excited about whether Trey Murphy gets a dunk or hits a three or somebody else doing something. Never about what Herb's done himself. And his poise, you know, those times against the Warriors, against in these big games where guys were trying to needle Herb against the Suns, all these things, you don't get under his skin. You don't see him buying into any antics. He never claps when something's – Herb just goes about his business. So I think this offseason, he was already motivated to come back, be a better scorer, be a better passer. The things we saw him do the last 20 games of the season, he's coming. He's going to come back. And we talked about this in the last episode about his shooting down the stretch. I think Herb, those things help too. You get yourself to be a more valuable offensive player as well. It's weird that's the way it works in the NBA, but it just does. If you're taking on a bigger scoring load, they respect your defensive effort a little bit more unless you are putting up league-leading stats as a big man, a Ben Wallace, Dwight Howard type. Herb's never going to lead the league in a category maybe other outside of steals. He could be a league leader in steals maybe. But other than that, it's just the versatility of his numbers that he draws them from everywhere. One of five guys, as I noted in the article, 40 blocks, 200 uh, rebounds, 250 rebounds, and 100 steals. That versatility of his defense and him finishing top five in the hustle stats, um, it just shows you, I think, his star is rising. It is. If he gets that jumper to start going down with more regularity throughout a season, 
he's going to become a heck of a valuable player. Not that he isn't already, but it's going to raise him a tier or two. But sorry, I got to mention this. You remind me of that Golden State Warriors game. Draymond Green, right, tried to do everything he could to get under Herb's skin, even kicked him in the back of the head. But when it came time for Draymond, who was still yelling at Herb during that play out of bounds, right, coming out of the timeout, Herb's just pointing out to him, hey, Steve Kerr's calling you the bench. You're out of here. It was just a way how casually Herb said it to him that showed you everything you need to know. He's Nobody's going to break him out there, right, mentally. Nobody. He's just that strong. He won't even take – you know, he's old school in that regard that you, we see him get knocked down on plays and opponents go to reach for his hand. He will not take an opponent's hand. He waits for his teammates to lift him up. He will not – you know, Herb is yeah, in the zone. Doing that in season. Yeah. So, I mean, I just think mentally I just love where he is. And I don't think this bothers him in the least. I don't think it motivates him because he's motivated already. Herb wants to be the best. He's supposed to doesn't motivate him. Yeah. I want to finish. Sorry, up. David. I mean, I was just reminding me of that. He, he, this does not motivate him one bit. He just wants to be the best player he can and to be a good teammate. Those are the only two things he really cares about. I want to finish up on the awards before we move on, because. I think overall now the NBA, as we the, the, the debate about awards has gotten bigger and deeper every year. And we just talked about how the league has expanded and it's probably going to expand again in the near future. I think that there's going to have to come a point um, with all these additions, the midseason tournaments and stuff. We're going to have to rethink how these awards are given. And you, you talked about potentially doing some half season awards. Mm-hmm. I think also, too, another possibility could be having conference awards, an all-conference team, and then having an all-NBA team and giving some more recognition because we can't have a bigger all-star game unless we start doing two all-star games, a mid-season all-star game and a post-season you know, post all-star game or something. Right. But the best way, I think, to do it is to start recognizing more of these individual players akin to what the NFL and Major League Baseball do. Yeah, I absolutely love that argument. As I mentioned, there's, what, 450, 470 players, and not everybody gets through a full season anymore. So maybe dividing it up and having something after the first half, not all the awards, but having some kind of, you know, acclaim for maybe just the top, you know, things that players do, like whether it's kind of all NBA-ish or some kind of top defensive award. I think that does make sense. Same thing with conferences, right? What happens in in years when, you know, conference can be top-heavy at times, right? It, It really kind of still hurts some t- some players that probably deserve recognition in my book, but because they're stuck on kind of a mediocre team, well, they, they don't naturally get it, right? Because usually, let's face it, once you get an award, especially if it's like an all-NBA thing, all of a sudden you've established a certain level to where even if your play drops off, voters remember you, right? They can always go back to you, and especially if you just have a good game or two that they watched, right? So suddenly you're not getting all the potential – Players that may deserve a vote, especially, like I said, if things start getting a little bit out of whack, whether conference is too heavy, some teams are winning more than others, and the ones that aren't winning, they still have great players, but because of whether it's because of injuries or whatever reason, they don't get that notoriety, and then they miss out, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I like that argument a lot. And these things are tied to people's salaries, too. And you know, I was going to bring that up, yeah. You know, yeah. so I think a lot of guys, it would help. And I think it changes the dynamic where teams can reward you in a different way. I know you probably can make an all-conference team, even if you don't make an all-NBA. And that creates a different tier where guys, are it's not an all or nothing. Because I think there are a lot of guys who would make all-conference teams. Because, I mean, look, look at, the, at, the, at a college. A college conference has roughly 12 teams, right? And you have multiple, you have two or three teams within those conferences. Mm-hmm. First, second, and third. 
So we're talking about an NBA that's 15 teams per conference right now. I think you could make it work. You could at least, at the very least, if you wanted to do it, you could just take five guys from each division and have all division teams. And that might, you know, it, what, how there are a number of ways to think about it. I think just in ways that can be more inclusive without watering down the, the awards. Because if you just had an all division award for this year, there's no doubt Brandon Ingram, you know, gets recognized. You, you think about the, that division team, it's SGA. We're talking about Brandon Ingram. We're talking about Herb Jones, maybe, you know, there, there's yeah. a most improved player in your division. Trey Murphy can get that. You know, I think that there, it, it incentivizes rookies a little more. Who's the best rookie in your division? Those types of things. I think it creates more engagement for the NBA without watering things down. No, those are all good arguments, and I'm in agreement with you. And I'm glad you mentioned they could potentially be tied to salary because you're absolutely right with how contracts can be structured. And I'll be very curious, right? Herb Jones' next contract, his second one, once he's done with this rookie one, will it have any kind of um, additional incentives for whether winning, maybe like saying getting on a defensive all-NBA team? I know Drew Holiday's had that. I, I know, I think Jalen Brown, that there's other players. So for Herb, then all of a sudden you do have an incentive, right? So does, you know, then think about this psychologically. Then all of a sudden, if Herb knows it's tied to his, uh, his uh, bank account, all of a sudden, do you think he's campaigning for himself more? Does that make him more of a vocal type of leader on the court? Maybe. I don't know. I'm, I'm just thinking out loud here because uh, I wasn't expecting to go that route. But going back to your original point, David, everybody loves awards. Mm-hmm. There's not enough of them to be handed out. And I, I just as long as it doesn't cheapen the major ones, you know, and I don't think it does because you wouldn't treat them the same. An all division award, an all conference award. Fine. Yeah, I think it just and I think for owners, the benefit is. You know, where you see guys get they get first team and it jumps up to a max. If you're an owner and and it's it's no longer an all or nothing with a player, because I think that can be a point of contention and negotiation. If I feel like I'm in a conference, I'm looking at my team and I know we may have a good team, but there's a log jam in my position. And I'll never make an all NBA because I play small forward where there's Kevin Durant and LeBron James. And this, this, this. But if there's an all division team, an all conference team. There's a lower level that I can still get into. It makes sense that that incentive is actually reachable instead of something that's just on a piece of paper that I know I've got to put up something phenomenal to overcome not only the statistical problem, but the name recognition problem. I didn't even think of that one. I love that one, actually, because you're right. Think about a player that maybe gets to one all-star game. Most More times than not, like CJ McCollum. There you go. He's never made an all-star game, never an all-NBA team. But yeah, he's a guy that's been good enough to carry his team when he's playing well. We saw it with Portland multiple years. We saw it with the Pelicans this season, right? He had that, what, seven, eight-week stretch after he came back from COVID and before he hurt his finger. He was on fire, David. He was scoring at will, right, between 30, 40 points and giving the Pels a legitimate chance to win, even though I know that a lot of those games occurred during the bad 10 and 25 start, but still. T.J. McCollum was playing like a top 25, top 30 player where we were all saying, hey, he might deserve an all-star bid just yeah. because of that. I mean, I think that it, I think it just works. When we go, if, going back to Herb's contract, he's not a free agent. He's still got two years on his deal, I think, right? Or is it one year left? One year left on his deal, right? I think so, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's one year, do the Pelicans clearly his value is going to skyrocket if he hits the open market. 
teams well, more the open market. He'll be a restricted free agent, but you're right. Somebody could place a crazy bid and the Pelicans would be forced. Poison to pill. Yeah. The, how urgent and what strategically do you think? I mean, do you think the Pelicans, uh, he has to be a priority for them because A is durable. B is your best defender bar none. He's young. He does. He checks all the boxes of what you want. So to me, they can't afford to, to lose him. And I think to, the, the price only goes up the longer they wait. No, I'm hoping that he does sign something this offseason for yet another reason. What if he goes on and has that type of shooting year that I think, probably you think, he's capable of, right? None of this 32 33%, maybe a good month or two from behind, behind the arc. No, I'm talking about maybe shooting 36% for the season from three-point range. He does something like that. All of a sudden, you've got to be thinking, what, what's he going to cost? Maybe $20 million a year? So see if you can sign him now to, I don't know, I haven't really thought about too much, but I think something in the 12 to $15 million range per year, offering him four years, something along those lines. I think that would be very alluring to somebody like him. And he could potentially sign it because think about this. What if he that shooting doesn't come around? What if injury strikes? Then all of a sudden he's not going to be looking at that kind of value, I think, next summer, right? So I, I, I know that would make him think long and hard this, this offseason, right, in, in a couple months' time. And I think, you know, it's also interesting, too, because when you look at Herb, what if he makes an offensive jump like a Mikhail Bridges? What if he makes an offensive jump like an OG Ananubi, where you can count on him to give you mm-hmm. 16 to 17 points a night? If Herb's giving you that on this team offensively, man, he becomes, I mean, like he's giving you 17 points, six boards, two steals, a block, you know, and, and three or four assists because we saw him take on a lot more secondary playmaker roles as the season went on. If this offense starts giving him, put the ball in his hands as he's moving a bit more, Herb becomes a really important player. He becomes, quite frankly, like a perimeter Draymond Green for the Pelicans, except a better shooter. Yeah, I'm not sure if I could see him ever hitting 17, right? Not if CJB. No, I mean, obviously, uh, with, these, with this lineup, it'd be really hard for but him. To yeah. do, but if you know what I mean, that kind of but guy. Everything, yeah. On when those guys are missing, and he could do that and, and do that regularly. Because I think we saw it enough of the last two seasons where if he looks for a shot, he now knows he doesn't set, have to settle for an open shot. He now takes it to the rim. It used to only come in transition, right, where he'd really look for his drives. Now, I've seen his game honestly expand a lot since he first put on a uniform. And taking that next step where you have that confidence of looking to attack when either shot clock's coming down, you see something, you've got the mismatch. No, I think that's all within his realm. Because, look, I think he's a better ball handler than Jalen Brown. I'll put that out there right now. I don't think Jalen Brown's a very good ball handler. I think Herb doesn't get enough recognition for what he can do because he often doesn't go to his tool chest, right? But think about, David, the big games he's had. For instance, against the Nuggets. I think he had one against the Cavaliers. And that's when they were missing largely all of their stars. And look at the, some of those stat lines. I feel like he could do that on a more regular basis on a team that allowed would allow that opportunity for him because the Pelicans don't have that. And it's going to be interesting to see how they manage his minutes this year. If Zion can can stay on the floor, if B.I. Yeah. can stay on the floor, it's going to be very interesting how they manage everybody's minutes in that backcourt. But I think that's I'd rather have that problem. <laughs> I'd rather have a good problem of saying, how do I play everybody? Then where the hell is everybody? Which has been <laughs> for the Pelicans for, the, for far too long. Um we still haven't really gotten word on the Pelicans interviewing anybody uh, for an assistant position to join Willie Green's staff. We've kind of talked about, you know, what type of coaches we'd like to see. 
but teams are now starting to do their interview process Mm -hmm. for their head coaching jobs that are vacant. The Pelicans need to to identify somebody before the good names are gone. Yeah, I think they probably have a list, right? And my guess is they probably talked to most of them, especially teams that aren't currently playing in the playoffs. So for instance, like James Borrego, I love that his name got mentioned, right? People need to understand that not only was he a coach under Monty for several seasons, but get this, Willie Green played his lone season in New Orleans. James Borrego was on the sidelines. And there's about a four-year age difference between them. So I honestly, you know, when I first heard that um, rumor, I got really excited. And then I started digging deeper, David. And I think we talked a little bit about it on the last ride podcast. Mm-hmm. I love what James Borrego's teams in Charlotte, those four years with the Hornets, what they were able to do in clutch minutes. Overall, he didn't have a winning percentage as head coach in Charlotte. But when the games went down to clutch time, guess what? He did, right? So his team's overachieved in key big moments. That's huge, right? So I feel like anybody that adds offensively, adds something to closing out games better, it's so, you know, it's desperately needed. I'm not going to mince meat, right? Mince words here. And what he had to work with his caliber. The two situations he had in Charlotte and Orlando, what he had to work with with the front offices there, they were trying to figure out what they wanted, which players they they didn't – neither team had a franchise player. And he was he was caught in look Charlotte. We know what kind of situation that's been for head coaches. We talk about a team that hired a coach, lost a coach, had to rehire its old coach that it had already fired last year. It, it's it that's a mess. Orlando has been a mess for 15 years outside of the Dwight Howard era. So it's it's. I don't think anybody should be punishing him because you're not asking him to be the head coach, and I don't think you're asking him to be the coach in waiting because even if you were going to get rid of rid of Willie. The next move is not going to be for somebody who has a losing reputation. The Pelicans can't do that. So I don't think it's a threat. I don't think it's a problem for anybody who's looking at, at him as saying he's a negative. You're not going to get somebody who's, as an assistant right now, who has a great record of winning unless maybe Kenny Atkinson misses out on this round again and is looking for a job. No, I'm with you. I'm glad you mentioned that. Anybody that wants and hopes for an Alvin Gentry type, a Mike D'Antoni type, somebody that has been long revered for their offensive mind is not going to come to this bench, right? So you really left that, not 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 like dropping down a tier, uh, because that's not fair, right? Because they don't have the recognition. Right. Because there's a lot of good minds out there, right? It's just the name. So, you're not going to get the big name. Yeah, right. So I, I'm very curious who's going to be available. I mean, all is going to depend, really, just with these second round of the playoffs, right? Who drops out a little bit early? Who's going to be looking, right, for maybe a new job? I mean, we just saw what Coach Bud get fired with Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Now suddenly it looks like Charles Lee, who was his number two up there for a lot of years, he's, again, a prime candidate to get a head coaching position, right, whether with Toronto, maybe Detroit. So all of a sudden that's created a lot of openings. And there's going to be a lot of movement. I'll be curious who the Pelicans end up with, especially, right, what if they lose Jaron Collins? I hope they don't lose him because I know he's a very sharp, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Good and guy. And he's the only guy that Willie's hired. Yeah. That yeah. part, and I think, yeah. you know, that the, the Willie's desire to connect, that's who his whole career is based on is his relationships. He has to have someone he trusts next to him. No doubt. I mean, you have to have a coach choose the guys that he wants to and in key moments feels like he can rely upon him, right? It's not a forced thing. Right. It has to be natural relationships to where you hired them because you know and think that's going to be there. Right. So 
No, I'm with you. I, I don't know what other names. I'm trying to think who else is maybe in Phoenix Suns bench next to Monty that maybe, you know, Willie Green could maybe pull away from there, maybe from Golden State, right? What if they blow it up over there? I mean, I'm not saying Steve Kerr's coming, but think about all those assistants. Maybe they could become available if they're trying to kind of a quick rebuild around steps. So, yeah, it'll be real interesting to see. Yeah. Um, Ali, I know you've got a couple more pieces coming out this week. Uh, why don't you tell folks uh, what you'll be looking at there um, and, and what you're looking forward to in the next couple of days? Yeah, so I'm definitely going to get one up, uh, one more article tomorrow that's really my last look at weaknesses. And it's probably a topic that I think anybody could guess. And that's, of course, rim deterrence. The Pelicans have not done a good job of dissuading shots near the rim in both seasons under Willie Green. And it's not his fault. The, he hasn't had the personnel to do a better job there. So I'm taking an in-depth look, like I said, with that tomorrow. I'm trying to think because we know Willie Hernan Gomez won't be around next year. Well, he's got a team option, right? At like I don't think he wants to come. No, here's the thing. Yeah, if I'm the Pelicans and you feel like he's not, and let's face it, he could barely get time ahead of Jackson when Jackson didn't deserve run this year, right? So you've got to think that mutual mutual mutually that both teams both parties are going to want to separate uh ways yeah for sure david so you look at the front court and it's Jonas and it's larry and it's trey and i think trey can actually be a better low post defender with that athleticism i think he could be he has a robert ori type build but i don't think he has those instincts or he was a look no. people People forget Robert Ory left the SEC as the second leading shot blocker in conference history behind Shaq. The second leading shot blocker in SEC history behind Shaq. That was Robert Ory. But but Trey, I think, has potential to become a better defender. I think he's willing to do that. And with his length, we saw him block some shots in in the trail position um, as the season went on. He got a little bit more aggressive defensively. I think his length can be part of that. But we know, whether it's in the draft or through free agency or trade, They've got to get longer and more athletic up front. Until they do that, nothing gets better. Yeah. In addition to the rim deterrence, you worry about rebounding. Because I know I'm with you. I think Trey, because of his tenacity, his ability to soak in information, and just his athleticism, he's got the potential to become a much better rebound rebounder once he puts on some more strength, right? He needs more weight on him. But he's also a guy that I know watches game film. So he's going to learn, you know, more of the fundamentals on where to be. Because when you watch him, even still, even down this last six weeks, I still saw him often out of position, whether it's guarding your own man or being in the right uh, spots defensively for, you know, to offer help. So Trey honestly still has a ways to come on a defensive side, even though, yeah, you see a block, you see a steal. It makes you think that he's come further than I still think that he has, but it's in him without a doubt. But yeah, David, the Pelicans, you know, when you look up and down the roster, outside of Larry, I don't know who Willie honestly trusts as a big. There really isn't a guy, right? That that was the reason why Jonas didn't play. So this this offseason, you're going to have to find not just one, but at least I think two centers, two bigs that you can rely on, probably one for a starter. Like I said, I think it's 50-50 whether Jonas comes back. I don't think either one of us expect for Jackson Hayes to come back. We just touched on Billy. So there, there's two openings right there. And we've always said, who's the backup to Zion? Right. We've never really seen Zion Williamson have a legitimate backup. So when he's out, you've got somebody that can still get you, what, seven, eight rebounds, do a little bit more ball handling than, say, your typical center guy that plays a five, like, say, a Larry Nance. 
they've never had that guy. So I would like to see them find somebody like that too. Yeah, I we should probably Trey, talk about that in an article or something as well. Yeah, I think Trey's going to have to play some small ball four. He's going to have to eventually in his career. As he gains yeah. weight, He's gonna, like you said, he has to gain weight and strength. But at his height, he's growing into that 6'9", 6'10", area. He could end up that, that long. And uh, with the way the Pelicans roster is, uh, he's going to at some nights, especially with them wanting to play Zion at the five occasionally, and you want to keep Herb, Trey, B.I. on the floor at the same time. With Zion and CJ or or Jose or whomever is at your point guard spot, then that means Trey sometimes is going to have to play for five or six minutes a night. He's going to have to play that four spot, which means he's going to have to rebound and he's going to have to to be able to block a, a few shots and and play around the rim occasionally. You got to be strong enough to box out. You know what, Jaron Jackson? I saw him struggle against him in one on one matchups. Um, you, you even talk about, say, the Jimmy Butlers of the world, the Kawhi Leonard's, right? A lot of guys that usually were small fours who have played a lot more power forward in the last couple of seasons. So he's got to get as, as strong to where he can handle those type of, you know, guys, whether it's keeping them off the glass, staying in front of them, not get pushed over, right? Not get pushed out of the way on drives by those guys. Yep. Um, I think that, you know, we'll see what happens with that. Well, hopefully we'll get some updates on the coaching search as we get deeper into the season. And we are getting nearer and nearer to the lottery, Ali. Getting nearer and nearer. I know. I mean, the Pelicans don't have really good odds, right? Was it 0.5% chance of grabbing a one, number one pick overall? Was it, I think, 2.6-ish percent to get in the top four? So really, it's like a one in 50 chance. All right, you're, you're not expecting much there. But hey, maybe it could happen. <laughs> and And at the very least, it starts giving us an idea of what teams – the Pelicans may be able to maneuver with if they're looking to trade for a veteran or to move up or back in the draft, which could be their desire depending on where they're sitting. Yeah, that's going to be the biggest thing, right? Who wins the Victor Wimbanyama sweepstakes? Because say, you know, I've been saying this ad nauseum, but what if a team like Detroit Pistons get him? They've got Jaron Duran, Wiseman. What if Orlando um, wins it again? And I'm forgetting. What if Orlando, Orlando. won it again? He can't. I'll be like. You just got pa- pa- you know Paolo Bancaro, and you're gonna add you know it's just so much for them. And they've got Jonathan Isaac, who they're still trying to get in, right? What about Charlotte, who has Mark Williams? I mean, there's a lot of teams. Jabari Smith with Houston. Do you want to really keep him at at the four for his career when he probably should play more five, right? So yeah, it'll be an interesting set of you know dominoes that fall once that lottery gets established. Folks, I think that's gonna do it for us for tonight. Um, Continue, please. Again, you can follow us at thebirdrights.com and the bird calls wherever you get your podcast and right here on YouTube. Ali, any final thoughts as we get out? Not really. I, I think we're good. We <laughs> laughed about the playoffs earlier, so we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> oh, no, no, we're not going to mess with the playoffs. <laughs> so, folks, thank the you. The Knicks did end up winning, though. That's, that's the thing I wanted to say to you. They held on. So, okay. They, <laughs> they delayed their pain for another day. They're not going to win that series. They're not going to win this series. No way. The Warriors uh, are jumping all over the Lakers. But please, go to State, please extend this series. Please, please, please. Just make it go a little bit longer. At the very least, to make it better for Denver. At the very least, just make it easier, yeah. a little bit easier for Denver. Because the more tired the Lakers are when they got to go up to Denver, the better. The better. Yeah, let's, let, let's just tell people what we want to see. We want to see Denver versus Philly, right? Jokic versus Embiid. I want to see it. I'd love to see seven games of Jokic versus Embiid. Give me that. Mm. Give me that. I think it'd be the fantastic. Two guys that were the forerunners, right? Front runners for the MVP award. Yes, how, how could please. you do better? How could you be yeah. do better than that if you're the NBA? You get to settle the question, you know, 
for all intents and purposes at the biggest mm-hmm. stage. You find mm-hmm. out who the MVP is. Put that stat, put that thing right in the middle of the. Of, of and when the did Philly last win a championship? Was it 82? 1983. It's been 80, 50 years, right? So it'll be yeah. 40 years. So yeah. talk about their four. And Denver won their first one. Yeah. They have the chance to get 40 years later. So um, until the next time, you know, check us out at the Bird Calls NOLA on uh, Twitter, as well as the Bird Rights um, as well, at Ali Cosell and at DM Grub. We'll talk to y'all soon. This has been Bird Calls. Thank you for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today